much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would
ahead and be seated for a little bit. Gabe is going to come and read a declaration of truth. Testing, testing. Can everybody hear me out there? All right, good morning, good morning, church family. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brother Gabriel. Uh, I'm going to be reading some uh, a declaration of truths today. A declaration to remember who God is and who we are in him. So because of Jesus, we are known by God. We are known by the God who loves us. By faith in Jesus, we have been and are being saved from sin and the wrath of God that is coming on the world. We are beloved children of the King of Kings and the sole sovereign of all that is. We are the church, the body of Jesus Christ and the bride of Christ. We are individual members of his body, connected together by the head who is Jesus and to him we submit. We are God's temple, living stones that are brought together in Christ to form a dwelling place for God. Jesus is the chief cornerstone on which we are built. Through the Holy Spirit that indwells us, God is sanctifying us into the likeness of Christ. His divine power has given us everything we need to live for Him in godliness. We do not live by sight. We do not live according to the flesh or the way of the world. As Christ lives in us, we live by faith in Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. There is no sacrifice or price too high to pay in pursuit of His glory. As He leads us into a deeper intimacy and communion with Himself, Jesus is our prize, our joy, our hope. He never stops loving us or grows tired or of our weaknesses and daily failings. The mercies of God are new each morning. Great is His faithfulness. There is no more wrath or punishment for those who believe forever and all eternity. For Christ alone has absorbed all the wrath of God in His body on the cross for us who believe in Him. We now move forward in gratitude, humbly accepting the discipline of the Lord when we go astray. He is good. He is with us. He will not leave us alone. He will never forsake us. For he is not like us, he is holy. He is not fickle, untrustworthy, or easily angered. He is our ever-present help in time of need. So let us worship his holy name. Let us praise and bless our God, who alone is worthy. We have much to rejoice in, so let us rejoice together in Christ. Amen. Okay, everybody. You can go ahead and stand up, but before we start the song, I would just like to share that uh, last Sunday night we went over to rescue the children, and it was Michelle and Hunter and Reuben and I, and when Hunter started singing, we always sing a few songs, the ladies stood up, and they started singing with all of their heart, and they were lifting their hands and praising the Lord, nothing inappropriate, but just really worshiping the Lord. And we could all just feel the presence of the Lord there. And it really ministered to me. So I'm just saying this morning, let's just praise the Lord and listen to the words and forget everything else that is going on in our lives right now and give God all honor and glory.
Thank you so much for bringing us here this morning so that we can lift up your name in prayer and in worship and hearing your word. We ask that you bless Hunter and help him to bring the word across as he feels you have led him. Jesus, anybody here who is not feeling well, just touch them, Jesus, this morning. And in all that we do, let us remember that you are our all in all. We give you all honor and glory, and we thank you for everything. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Amen, good morning. Good morning, church. Uh, go with me if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, or there are many, many in the seats. You can grab one. Um, we're gonna go to the book of Job, the book of Job. I am excited to get into this today. Um, so growing up, I, uh, I've known about the book of Job. I've heard the story of Job many, many times throughout my life. And how many of you, by raise of hands, would say, and we can be honest, um, I'm looking for involvement today. Don't lie, honestly, but um, obviously. But uh, how many of you would say I'm unfamiliar with the story of Job? Unfamiliar. Okay, cool. How many of you are like, I have a pretty good idea of what the book of Job says it's talking about? Awesome. Okay, cool. So growing up, I, I could say I knew the story pretty well. I heard it multiple times. But things were missing. I didn't get it. It didn't, like... I was like, what's the point of this? What is the point of this story? What is this actually trying to say? And I would hear different, um, different takes on it, but it never like really sat right. I was like, okay, I guess that, that makes sense. I guess that works. And I don't know if your experience is similar, but over the past couple years, and just through like suffering, not that my suffering's worse than anybody else in here or, um, or anything like that, but just like through life and suffering, God has given me a deeper understanding and, and a love for this book. And there's actually a beautiful gospel truth in the book of Job. And, and, and what is the gospel, beloved? That is the story of Jesus, what he's done for us, that we can have peace with God, that we can know him, that he came, he lived a perfect life. He died for our sins and he rose from the dead so that we could have new life in him, gave us the spirit to indwell us, and one day he's coming back for us. That is the gospel in a nutshell. That's why we're here today. And within this Old Testament book of Job is a beautiful truth that, that's in the gospel. And so this is our theme as we start out today, and, and this is going to be on the screens, that the message of Job what it means, what the, what the message, what, what is the book of Job trying to say? The message of Job is found in the heart of the story of Jesus. It's found in the, the heart of the gospel. And I'm going to explain why. And so we're going to read the story. Okay, so are you in Job 1? Say amen if you're there. All right. We're just going to read this together and, uh, and go from there. There was a man... In the country of Uz, named Job. Uh, the historical details here really aren't important. Like the timeline, none of that's given to us. 
um, because that's not the point. We don't, we don't need to know where this story fits in history. It's just somewhere in the Old Testament. Um, he was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man. James, you can go ahead and turn me down a little bit because I'm going to yell. So, yeah. <laughs> Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take, are you following along? Are you with me? This is not on the screens because I'm lazy and I didn't want to put it up there and I wanted to make you guys work. Like that? All right, save myself some time. Have you guys page turning. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Now remember, this is long before Jesus comes, long before the gospel. So many things are unclear in this day. It, it may have been even before the law was given. And so there are details in here where we're like, well, that, that's not necessarily how that works, and no one's actually righteous. And so when it says Job is a man of integrity, it's, it's not saying that Job is sinless, that he has achieved perfection. But among humanity, Job is one who is seeking God, who is fearing God, and is ordering his life according to that. That's the emphasis here. So don't get sidetracked to think that, well, Job, Job worked his way to God. Job worked his way to heaven. That's, that's not what it's saying here. That's not the point of the story. And our story opens with the, basically what is the ideal Christian American dream. And that's not bad. Like Job has a beautiful family, and they love each other. They spend their weekends hanging out and having a good time together. And Job is, they're not just enjoying life, but Job, as the leader of his family, is cognizant of what's going on in his children's hearts. He's not just looking at their behavior. He's saying, man, I wonder if, you know, whenever, you know, son number four, maybe he had a little too much to drink that one night. I wonder if he cursed God in his heart. So I'm going to make a sacrifice for him to kind of like make up for that. He's acknowledging God and he's thinking about where the hearts of his children are at. There is a greatness to the name of Job. And he didn't get great through corruption. He's righteous. He's the greatest man in that day. And he loves God. This is a beautiful opening. This is a beautiful picture. And verse 6 takes a hard turn and it says this one day the sons of god came to present themselves before the lord sons of god meaning the angels the spiritual beings and satan also came with them so this is one of the very rare parts of scripture where the curtain to the spiritual realm the curtain into heaven is pulled back and for some reason us humans get to look in and see what's going on that god chose for this story he's like i want I want people to see this side of the story. They're going to learn something. Verse 7. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? 
from roaming through the earth? Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord in satanic fashion. Does Job God fear... Does, that's not how he answered. Does Job fear God for nothing? The heart of the cynic. He says, oh really, is that, is that how it is with Job? He's, he's righteous? He just serves you because you're worthy? Verse 10. Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But... Stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. And maybe some of the two scariest words in our Bibles, God answers in verse 12. What are they? <laughs> it's about to go down. <laughs> Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. This is crazy. God and the devil are having a conversation about Job. And where's Job? On earth. He has no clue what's going, what's happening here. And spoiler alert, nowhere in the book does Job ever find out about this conversation. God is the one who brings Job up in the conversation. Red light immediately. Not good. I, I don't want God bringing up my name in a conversation with Satan. I'll tell you that much. Basically, Satan, what do you think of Job? And let's kind of dissect. Let's get underneath the conversation here. Job is not sinless, but among sinful humanity, he has chosen to communicate with his life, his choices, his desires that I'm worthy that I'm good, that I'm worthy of worship. That is what the life of Job declares. What do you think about that, Satan? Among these fallen sinful humans that you deceived into darkness, he still seeks and worships me. What do you think of that? And the premise of Satan's response and objection is this. But Job doesn't fear and serve you, God, just for who you are. He has another agenda. He fears and serves you for everything you have given him. You've given him success and a bunch of awesome stuff. That's the only reason he serves you. Take all that away and you will see what Job really is, God. He's just like the rest of them. He will curse you to your face. Satan is basically saying, God, you are, and I got, I, I was influenced in this by Tim Keller. Um, Anthony sent me a, a sermon um, not, not on this passage, but he made some really good observations, so I just need to give him credit so I don't just say I came up with this. But basically what Satan is saying is, God, you are bribing Job for his worship. You have to pay him with a good life for him to serve and worship you. Do you guys see that? Does that make sense? Maybe 30% of you. What is under Satan's accusation is the accusation that God is not worth serving and fearing just because he's God. Let's remember, Satan hates God. And Satan hates you. 
Because you're the image of God. So this, let's put this on the screens. Oh yeah, there it is. God in and of himself is not enough to deserve our worship. Do, do, you, do you feel like you understand that statement? Because this is very important. This is critical to the story. This is critical to the heart of the gospel. Without God doing anything for you, he's not really that great. He's not really that great of a God. He's not really worth living your life for. He's not worth serving. He's not worth fearing if he doesn't give you anything. And that's basically what Satan is declaring to God. And the scariest part here is that God says to Satan, okay, bet. Let's see what happens. His life is in your hands. Oh, and let's see what happens indeed. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans, just a group of raiders, a group of people, swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. Well, that'll change your day. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came. And at this point, Job's probably like, I probably don't want to hear what he has to say. The Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And it keeps going. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported your sons, oh no, and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So in one day, the value of Job's life, what he loved, what had his heart, his lifestyle, gone. Not even in a day, in like a matter of 20 minutes. It's all gone. Now this is an extreme caricature, okay? This doesn't usually happen. This is probably the single worst, this is probably the worst day for a single human in history. And he says in verse 20, then Job stood up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and what? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Okay, well, that's a win. That's a win. God won Satan zero. Chapter two. You there? You with me? You awake? Enough coffee in the room? Enough donuts? <laughs> One day the sons of God came again. To present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan. And there's like this theatrical repetition here. Where have you come from? From roaming the earth. Satan answered him. And walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? 
No one, on else, no one else on earth is like him. A man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away evil. Now notice what God says right here. He still retains his integrity even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. That's what God, that's God's opinion on the situation here. You incited me against Job to destroy him for no good reason. And he still serves me. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. So for Satan, for some reason, it wasn't good enough. He's like, nah, nah. He's still got his life. He's got his health. He can build back. He fears God. He's, he's resilient. He's going to get through this. But if I take his health, if, if, if he didn't have yet his, his own life, like not that he dies, but like the life that he has now is still a gift. It's still something to hold on to. And he's like, God, take that from him. And watch, he'll curse you to, to, his, uh, to your face. And, and Satan at this point, he's, he's losing. And he's just throwing whatever he can out there. And God says, very well, the Lord told Satan. He is in your power, only spare his life. He's like, obviously don't kill him because that wouldn't make any sense and we wouldn't know the answer. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. That is about the most pathetic picture of misery that you can imagine. And I just picture, like, he's sitting in ashes, and, like, everything's burnt around him. Like, it's kind of like hell on earth. And his best friend, his wife, says to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Are you still trying to, like, act like you're righteous? Like, this is, this is ridiculous, Job. Curse God and die. There's no explanation for this. Just give up. We're done. It's over. And you can see why Satan didn't take her. Verse 10. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should, oh, this is so good. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. God to Satan zero. Now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, verse 11, Bildad... Don't be naming nobody, Bildad. The Shuhite and Zophar, that's okay, that's kind of cool. The Naamathite heard about all this adversity that had happened to him. So they're like, man, did you hear about that crazy stuff that happened to Job? Let's go, let's go visit him. Let's go see how he's doing. Each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. They wept aloud, and each man tore his robe and threw dust into the air and on his head. Then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. So at this point, the bet is over. Job passed the test. God won. He didn't curse God to his face. Satan is defeated. So there you go. That's the story of Job. Two chapters What's the, what's the lesson today? What's the application as we leave now? Don't curse God no matter what happens. All right, let's pray. Y'all have a good day.
No, the, the, the story goes on for 40 more chapters. Chapters 1 and 2 are really just the setup. The rest of the book is now, let's, let's shift from what's going on in heaven, let's shift now to earth. And now the rest of the book is a poetic exploration of Job and his friends trying to make sense of what in the world just happened. How do we make sense of this? And Job's three friends, with the exception of the youngest, Elihu, who's actually a fourth that's not mentioned until the end, though his three friends represent the reasoning of our flesh, the conclusions that we reach to make sense of the world around us and suffering and God and how does this all work in this grand complexity that we can't understand. And really, this is a brief Tragic summary because the conversation and argument between Job and his friends is really rich. And I wish we had time to get into it, but I'll, I'll give a brief summary. All Job's friends really have are these simple kind of solutions and explanations because they don't know how to sit in the complexity of what in the world just went down. And so they, they conclude, okay, Job, you, you must have messed up. You must have messed up, bro. What did you do to deserve this? Now, look, if you just turn back to God and repent and cry out to him, he will hear you and he's going to restore you. You know how many people believe that is the answer right there? You know what the problem with the book of Job is? Do you know what the problem with the book of Job is? is that Job is sitting there saying, I never stopped seeking God. That should break our minds a little bit. The flesh doesn't know what to do with that. The flesh doesn't know how to make sense of that. And you'll see that in his friends. They'll say, okay, Job, if, if you do this, then this will happen. And Job is going to go into this for, for chapters of this back and forth. Of he's talking to his friends. He's talking to God, and he's trying to understand, like, I didn't do anything wrong. I have nothing to repent of. Why did you do this to me, God? And there's some parts where he seems to lose hope, and he concludes, God doesn't care. God has chosen to destroy me. I don't know why, but I, he, I can't get to him, and he's not going to listen. But then in Job's suffering, this is critical, he starts to ask some really good questions. Like, wait a minute, how can someone actually be just before God? And he says, man, I wish there was someone. I wish there was someone in chapter 9 that could, that could stand between me and God. And then he'll have these flashes of hope where he says things like, but I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand on the dust, and I will see him in my flesh. And you see, if you've been through darkness and you walk through the book of Job, it is depressing. Unless you really walk through darkness, and it, you're, it's resonating with you. And you feel the back and forth of losing hope, and then gaining hope. And you see that in Job. And what Job begins to discover, without even knowing it, is the gospel. It's all clear to us because we have the whole thing. We have Jesus, right? Job has no clue. He has these vague kind of pictures of who God is, and yet he's serving him wholeheartedly. 
And so we know how we're justified before God. It's through Jesus. We know who stands between us and God. Who is it? He's the mediator. We have Timothy to tell us that. We know who our Redeemer is. But Job has these just vague concepts that he's working with. And so Job finishes by basically saying, okay, God, answer me. Explain yourself. What have I done wrong? And, and Job has said throughout his, his talk, he's like, look, guys, if I'm guilty, I'll die. That's fine. I'll accept whatever judgment God dishes out. Like, that's cool. Like, I get it. I'm not trying to run from anything. I'm not trying to weasel my way out. I'm not trying to make excuses. God, just explain what I did. Why? Why did this happen? And he says, okay, Lord, I'll accept my punishment. At least tell me why. Give me an answer. Let the Almighty give an, give an answer. Let him give an account. Let him, and he says this, let my opponent. Job views God as his opponent. Let my opponent compose his indictment of me. And that's basically where Job leaves off. And here's the craziest thing about the book of Job. And it's pretty crazy, isn't it? How many of you, if we can be honest, are like, I don't get it. This is a little unfair. Thank you, Devin. Someone, I see some heads shaking, right? I'm looking. This is messed up. It is. And you realize God said it was messed up? He's like, yo, Satan, this is messed up right here. You want me to destroy him for no good reason. And so that's how Job leaves off. But here's where the book flips. This is where it goes from being another nice philosophical exercise, like reading some Greek, you know, mythology book where, you know, two characters are going on ornately for, you know, on and on and on. This is where it goes from being that to an earth-shattering gospel reality. And you may not realize that. Until you get into this, and as you know God more, but here's the craziest thing about the book of Job, is that God answers Job. Now, we don't think that's, we don't realize how special that is because we just read it as a story. And we, we kind of get used to treating the Bible not as a fairy tale here, but as a fairy tale here. It feels disconnected. And we don't understand how crazy it is that God answers his creation. He is not obligated to. Just like he didn't need to send Jesus to save us from our sins. He's not, we weren't entitled to that. Job's, as unfair as this feels, Job's actually not entitled to an answer. You know why? Because God's God and we're at his mercy. So if he's a bad God, there's nothing we can do about it. That's kind of the, the precipice that the book of Job takes us to, to help us understand how good God really is. And if you're thinking right now, hmm, kind of questioning the goodness of God right now, that's where we're going. And we're going to start wrapping this up with what God says to Job. Because God doesn't need to answer, but he does anyway, not to justify himself. Because God never explains to Job why. God never explains to Job why. He never tells him. He's like, yo, 
So check this out. Satan came to heaven, and we made this bet. And bro, you did amazing, and I'm so proud of you. And Job's like, okay, I guess I get it. Like, all right. That probably would have been Job's answer. God never does that. As frustrating as that is, and this is where it starts to get real for our lives. Because what we think we need when problems and pain are in our face, we need the solution, we need an answer, we need uh, some resolve, we need something. And God comes with an answer that just frustrates our flesh, this earthly part of us that is like Job's friends. That just like, give me the answer, give me the solution, okay, pray and read my Bible and everything's good, I can do that. Bam, religion. And that's how we treat this thing. But that doesn't work in the book of Job. He's already doing all that, and his life went to pot. So for chapter 38, let's go to Job 38. Job 38. If you're there, say amen. Job 38. Okay, thank you, Malachi. If you're there, say amen. All right, I'm missing like almost this entire section right here. All right, you guys said amen for them? Like, you guys found it. I know you're there. All right, chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. I don't know what that means. God showed up in a tornado, and Job was like, yo, what is this? What now? But it's God. And he says this. Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. And this is where my confusion began with the book of Job. I never understood this answer. I thought, God, that's pretty savage. Like, give the guy a break. Like, why would you show up and like, it sounds demeaning, doesn't it? Like, who is this who obscures my counsel with words that are ignorant, they're, they're, they're without understanding. Get ready to answer me like a man. It, it sounds snarky, it sounds angry, but it's very important to realize that it never tells us God's disposition is anger here. And it took until two years ago, it was October 31st, I think, it was uh, Halloween night, and um, we'd had a party at our house or something, and, and there was a fire in the backyard, and. And I went out there after everyone was gone. It's like 11 or 12 at night. And I think I pulled it up on my phone. I don't know if I had been reading through Job or why I came across this passage, but I came to this verse. And it was like the Lord was like, I'm going to open your eyes right now. And I'm going to change the way you understand this. I'm going to change the way you see this. And I saw the Father's love in that profoundly and I'm I'm struggling because I don't even know if yeah, I've, I've practiced this sermon a couple times and I, I still don't totally know how to convey it to you and so I'm asking the Holy Spirit to make it real to you as well but when God shows up and says who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words he's coming honestly but he's coming as a father to a child 
that doesn't understand the way the world works. God is the God of the universe. And he comes to Job, and he acknowledges Job. Do you know what I would give to hear God say this to me in my darkest moments of suffering? To hear God acknowledge you. What he's saying here is, I see you. What he's saying here is, Job, I'm here. I'm here, buddy. And he doesn't call Job nothing. He says, when he says, who is this? He's not saying, like, what is this? Like this piece of dust. What is this to talk to me? That's not what's happening here. He's the one who says, Job is the one who says, I'm so insignificant in a bit. God is the one who says, get ready to answer me like a man. I know what I made you. I made you a human in my image, and you're going to answer me like one. And then God goes on to not explain to Job why everything's happened or give him any sort of answer. But God goes on, and the most frustrating thing is that all God does is basically reveal himself to Job. He's like, here I am, and this is who I am. And he does that through a series of questions. He starts asking Job, like, so where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? When I, you know, when I flung the stars out into the galaxies? Do you see when the deer give birth all over the world? Are you aware of that? And he goes on to ask questions like that. And what he's doing is he's not, he's not crushing Job, but he's revealing himself to Job. He's saying, that's, that's me. That's me. And this is what our flesh can't understand. And this is what I never understood, is that what we need, beloved, when we are suffering and what we need through this life, when we think we need this to work out, we need that to stop, we need this to start, we need that to resolve, we need this to be fixed. We don't realize it, but what we need is the revelation of God. We need God to show us who he is. And, and, it, and it is frustrating because in those moments, God will show up and he's like, hey, why don't you look at me? And we're like, what? what? I got a disaster here. I just lost a loved one. What? what? Look at you. Look at what? I'm dying. I got cancer. Look at what? I lost my job. My child doesn't want to have anything to do with me. What? Look at you. He's like, look at me. Look at me. I'm right here. And this is where Christianity, it, it don't make sense unless you have the Holy Spirit. It don't make sense. Because this is the heart of the gospel, beloved. That, man, I'm, I'm going to skip a bunch here. That at the heart of the gospel is God himself. Apart from anything he does for you. So as we wrap this up, let's, let's, we're going to back up. And we're going to consider Jesus for a moment, okay? He was the true Job. How? He was the truly innocent one that was crushed by the Father. Do you see that in Isaiah 53? It says, it pleased the Father to crush him severely. Talking about Jesus. He was the righteous one who could truly voice the cry of Job. 
on the cross. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And the answer to Jesus was silence. Job says, I don't think God can hear me. I don't think I can get to him. Just let me die. Job says that over and over again. Like, just let me die. I wish I was never born. He says all of those things. And all the time, God heard and God showed up. But you know what didn't happen when Jesus was on the cross? The Father didn't show up, yo. He died. He was gone. And yeah, we're like, but the resurrection, yes, three days later. But, but what we do is we, we miss the darkness of the cross by, by slapping the resurrection on it real fast. Because we don't understand how profound it is to be forsaken by God because you've never experienced it. You felt it, but you've never actually experienced it. You've had the illusion that you are forsaken. Job had the illusion that he was forsaken, but Jesus was truly, Jesus was the truer Job. So that you and I and Job could have the presence of God eternally. The ultimate answer, but here's the deal, Job didn't have the gospel, right? Job didn't have Jesus. So God's like, boom, here I am. But do you see we have it better than Job? Like, that's hard to believe because we think God showing up in a tornado would be amazing. But we literally have God inside of us. We have the full revelation of his word. We have the full understanding of the gospel of what it means to be justified before God, what it means to have true peace with God. And that's better than anything Job had. But in the meantime, God was like, let me give you a taste of the gospel. And you know what it was? It wasn't right answers. It wasn't cheap, you know, I don't know what I'm, cliches. It was himself. He just said, just look at me for a minute. Just let me show myself to you. And you know what Job says at the end of this? <laughs> Job doesn't say, okay, finally, here's my complaints. Where you been for the past 40 chapters, God? Or 36 chapters? Did you hear all that? What do you think? Job's like, yeah, I'm going to shut up now. Not because he can't win an argument, but because he's, it's enough. God's enough. Like just God revealing himself. Our flesh is like, I don't, I don't get that. I don't get how that, how that fixes anything. That's the little voice inside. I, I, don't, I don't get how that fixes anything. That's why. It, because it's spiritual. Because your greatest need is not something your flesh craves. The answers, the resolve, it's God himself. And Job says this in, in um, chapter 42, verse 5. He said, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And he says, I reject my words. <laughs> Those 36 chapters, I reject them, God. <laughs> and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. And then God goes on to give Job everything back and more. And he, he says to Job's friends, hey, come here for a minute. You, you, you better have Job pray for you because y'all have no idea what you're talking about. 
and you need to repent because you didn't speak rightly about me like Job did. You see, the good news of Jesus, are you with me still? We're, we're finishing up. I know I said that half an hour ago, but we're finishing up. The good news of Jesus is not first that we get heaven or eternal life or saved from hell in our sin or that we get a, full, a life full of purpose and meaning and right answers and wisdom and understanding or that we get the fruit of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. Like, that's all amazing. That's all good news. But as you mature in Christ, and maybe one or two of those things are the reason you came to Christ. And that's fine. But as you mature in Christ, what you come to is the heart of the gospel. The book of Job. But the gospel in Job is that we get God himself. The heart of the gospel is that God in and of himself is beautiful. And worthy of worship regardless if he does anything for us or not. And in Job we see all the benefits stripped away. And it's just Job and God. And Job says, now my eyes have seen you. You realize Job didn't have that before all this happened? But do you realize that all of that insanity that went down, it was worth it for that one line. Now my eyes have seen you. And that's what we say when we get saved. That's what our heart cries. Now, I, now, Job's not like, oh, I saw you. It was a tornado. That's not what Job is saying. He's not saying with my physical eyes, I saw you. He's saying, I see who you are. And it is enough. So everything I said, just forget it, God. Just throw it away. Please. Like those high school pictures that I never want to see again. I think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And sometimes there are no green pastures. Sometimes there is no quiet water. Sometimes it's just a long, dark valley of the shadow of death, beloved. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And may we discover that as a church. This is where we end today with this takeaway. Let the story of Job stand as a reminder that the best part of your story is that you get to know God. It's, it's that. Like, that's it. Like, that's the best part of your story. Everything else is kind of like almost unnecessary, like, additions because of how good that is. That's the heart of the gospel is that you get God himself. You get to know the God of the universe. You get to know the God of the universe. What happens is the flesh and, and the normal things of life and the world around us, and they kind of lull us into this numbness, into this sense that anything spectacular is kind of a hoax and uh, the spirit of cynicism where we kind of see through everything and we're like, well, what's your secret? And the gospel just tears through it all. And it's so good, we don't even know what to do with it. Like, we don't even know what to do with it because it's that good, because it's God himself. And you must choose to believe this over and over again. You must remind yourself because most times your flesh is not really going to care that you get to know God. It's going to be like, yeah, whatever, because your flesh wants the benefits. 
Your flesh is like, make me feel comfortable, make me feel eternally secure, make me feel all these things, which are amazing benefits. Make me feel valued, make me feel important, and then, yeah. Satan was right. That's all of our flesh. Our flesh doesn't love God, it loves what God gives us. That's why God raises us from the dead in Christ, so that we actually love Him. Man, I'm done. God, Lord, bring us deeper into the profound reality of how amazing you are. And it just feels so pathetic when it's just words. But Lord, those words hold truth. And whether we feel them or not, we choose to believe because we live by faith, not by sight. We're going to sing one more song, and it's a song that's, that's from the book of Job. And you guys will see that as we, as we sing it. It's been a long time since we sang this song. Um, but go ahead, keep your eyes closed just for a second. You know, if you're in here and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't actually think I know God, we want to talk to you about that. Because knowing God, it, it, it is... What, what's so hard for us to understand is, is that it's such a, an incredible concept, and yet it's, it's, it can only be received with, with a childlike faith that simply believes it. it it's, not, it's not a complicated crossover to, from death to life. It really isn't. Like the way to know God is, is simply to choose to believe in Jesus, to believe that he is master, he is Lord, he is Savior, he is King. And to then follow in that belief. And so if you have not done that today or you're not confident, I want to talk to you afterwards or, or Pastor Daryl, find someone to talk to about that. Lord, I ask that you would make this message clear to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Lord, may the devil not have a foothold in our lives in the name of Jesus. May he not steal the seed that has been planted today through the word of God. May it not fall on rocky ground or thorny ground or hard ground, but may it fall on good soil, good soil of the heart, that it can be received and it would bear fruit in us, the fruit of true love for Jesus. Bless us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. As Hunter said, um, this is a new song to a lot of us, so just praise the Lord while we sing.
for giving your life on the cross that we might be saved and that we can have you living in us. And I just pray that as we all go out of here, that we can just take you with us and just draw closer to you and not just do it on Sunday, but every day of the week. Be with each and every one. And as Hunter said, if there's someone here who is not sure that they are saved, please take that step today and speak with someone. In your name, we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. All right. Man, that was a fantastic sermon. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andrea. That was awesome. Um, well, we do have a couple of announcements. We're just going to go by really quick, and we're going to be through and we'll get going. Uh, just kind of a real quick reminder, we want to talk about giving. Uh, giving is one of the many ways that we show our trust in what God is doing in our lives. Uh, so I definitely encourage everybody to give here. Um, 
One, you're going to kind of go through. Uh, you can give uh, online through FresnoChurch.com slash give. You can also use some of the QR codes that are in the back seats. Um, or you can actually just text the word give to the number on the screen. Um, there, or if you'd actually prefer an envelope with cash or check, uh, they are right there on the back seats. You can p place them on any of the two boxes in the back. Um, but if you're a guest or first time uh, visitor here, we uh, definitely don't want to feel, feel that you're obligated to give at all. We're just happy that you're here worshiping with us this morning. Um, we do have some uh, connection cards. If you guys did not get that when you guys came in <coughs> in the guest services, we do have them also in the back seats. We definitely would love for you guys to fill those out and get a record of your attendance and maybe connect with you at some point. Um, any questions that you may have or any kind of needs in your walk in Christ that you may uh, need, uh, we do have a resource table in the back. Somebody will be there to take care of that for you guys. Uh, a couple meetings throughout the week. Uh, we do have prayer and fellowship uh, coming up on next Wednesday at 630. That will take place in Kidsville. Uh, we do have youth group. We'll be back uh, in the book of Acts this Thursday at 530. Um, and also, just a quick note, because of Easter, uh, we will not be having Kidsville the first three Sundays. Uh, Kidsville will be in, held in March of the 3rd, the 10th, and the 31st. Uh, no Kidsville will be on the 17th or the 24th. Um, also, uh, baptism service will also be on Easter Sunday, March 31st. So, Absolutely. So if you guys have a need for being baptized, I would suggest talk to uh, Pastor Darrell or Hunter. Uh, quick update on our pastor search team. I know it's been a long time since we kind of uh, spoke on this, um, but our pastor search team has been very, very hard at work. Um, I can tell you because I'm part of it. And um, has been carefully vetting all resumes that have been submitted for the, the senior pastor position. Uh, we're still receiving new applicants on a weekly basis, and we're currently actually have some interviews uh, scheduled for some potential candidates this week. Um, it is important to note that this process in searching for a pastor does take 12 to 18 months uh, on average, and we are just shy of 12 months at the moment. Uh, so we ask that you continue to keep, you <coughs> keep us in your, our team in your prayers, and you know, as we seek God for wisdom and discernment. Uh, let's go ahead and just bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you now in prayer as we lift up the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Lord, there are many of us here carrying large burdens on our back this morning with heavy hearts. Many of us who are weary and frustrated from the world and anxious for the future of this church. Father, that there is so much that doesn't make sense to us right now, but we know that you only, only you have the answer. And only you truly know what is best. Lord, we ask that you bless us as we go now our separate ways. And that you may be a light, that we may be a light to those who are in need. That the lost may know your mercy and grace and everlasting love as we go now into the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>